Hi, how are you today? First of all, sorry, been MIA for, you know, like three weeks now. Um, depression's really hard, and I don't mean that in like a lighthearted sense whatsoever. So if you understand, then you understand. If you don't, lucky you. Um, I am struggling, um, and so I will continue to do my best to show up. But sometimes when I show up, it's just when I show up and we just have to either be there for it and be in for the long haul or move on. But anyways, um, welcome to episode 19 of Crooked Crimes. Today is officially the first episode that is not part of the Pacific Northwest. And I don't know, it just kind of, to me, it kind of almost seems like a scandal. I feel like I'm stealing something or like I'm doing something naughty or wrong. Who knows? Maybe... I'll have it open to all crimes, but still primarily cover the ones in the realm that I live in. Eh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Because there are, a, you know, a handful of crimes that are like, oh my gosh, fascinated by this, but it wasn't in the Pacific Northwest. And then there's also just the Pacific Northwest is my home. So I love talking about crimes from my home because it, I just do. Anyways, if you're anything like me and you're here because you love true crime, you love to hear what people have to say about it, and you also like to know everything, so you make sure you listen to all the things, watch all the stuff, so you can be the expert. So, when you get called upon for a phone-a-friend of true crime trivia, you are just a magical asset, right? Right. With that being said, let's get to it, shall we? Hi! My name is Taylor, I am your host, and I am a simple homegrown gal with a fascination of people and the crimes they commit. I am in no way a professional, although I would love to be, and today I'm here to tell you the details of a crime that you may already know and discuss my thoughts and opinions. Disclaimer for today. Well, today we will be discussing an affair, so if that triggers you, not today's case. Um, we'll also be talking about murder. If you don't like murder, why do you listen to true crime? And we're also going to be talking about a hidden body, which... If you're a freak like me, then you're like, ooh, hidden body, tell me the details. So for today's case, we're really going to be like in two different time periods because there's, we just are. And I mean, without me giving away just too much information, we're going to start in the year 1999. First off, that's the year both of my sisters were born, but no, they aren't twins. So go ahead and let your mind rattle. Think about it. It's not too hard. And my dear friends, here are the highlights from the year and the time that was just before the turn of the century. For those of you who are not only alive, but you actually remember it, I actually remember New, Year New Year's Eve. I remember that night uh, in my house and we were all like slightly concerned about Y2K and like the world was going to end. So I Googled it just to make sure because I was like, ooh, is this a Mandela effect? Like, did I just remember Y2K? But it really wasn't like a thing. But like, no, it was totally a thing. So it's cool. Apparently, there were actual concerns that electronic things, I don't know, computers, anything electronic, wouldn't be able to switch from the year like 1999 to the year 2000. Um, anyways, it, it happened. We all survived. Here we are. Let's go. So in 1999, all not only did we have Y2K, but it's also the year we got Spongebob. And I hate to admit this, but it makes my kids laugh. So when I was 10 years old, I decided that I was going to have, um, maybe I was like 11 or 12. 
Uh, I was going to have a yellow bug with SpongeBob seat covers because that's really cool. Uh, in 99, Clinton was acquitted. And um, it was also the year that the horrific Columbine shooting took place, which actually somebody just suggested that I cover that. So I'll have to think about that. But, and I don't know why, because I'm, I just, I grew up in Oregon. So I always remember the Columbine shooting associated with Kip Kinkle. Like I always thought it was Columbine happened in Oregon, but it didn't. And that Kip Kinkle was the one responsible, which he was responsible for a crime, but his actually happened first. And we do have two episodes on that. If you're interested, you can go back in time and listen to my sister and I talk about that. So anyways, um, also the year 1999, the matrix came out along with 10 things I hate about you. Oh, and the movie, the sixth sense. Um, everybody was still listening to Spice Girls, because I know I was. Um, Sync, Baxter Boys, Britney, and Christina, all of them were popping, along with TLC, guys, gems. What a time to be alive, right? Right. So, enough about the year. Let's go ahead and talk about the place. So, again, I feel wrong, but we are headed to the East Coast. Raise your hands. How many of you have been there? Hmm, Yeah. How many of you reside there? Yeah, yeah, I see that hand. Mm-hmm. All right, so the location for today's crime is actually called Jericho, New York, to which I will point out I am born and raised on the West Coast. So not only do I know very little about the East Coast, but I've only been to a handful of places. So this is essentially unknown territory for me. So if I screw anything up, no judgment. Now, upon my research, what I learned, and again, don't eat me alive if I fail to get things correct, um, it's about 29 miles from Manhattan. I've been there before. Uh, it's located on Long Island, and it's in the Nassau, Nassau County. It's pretty small, obviously, in comparison to Manhattan. Duh. It only has about 13,000 people. Uh, it is actually the home to actress Natalie Portman, and she was listed as notable residents as well as Madison Beer. So there's that. Demographically, it's white by like 86%, which I thought was hilarious because you know how like when you Google something and then it like suggests questions for you? Sometimes I find that very, very helpful. But it was funny because in this suggestion, I chose the, the one that said like, is Jericho, New York a wealthy place? To which the answer is yes, because the median median friends that means the middle okay yeah median the median income is over 300,000 for a family of 4 yikes i wish i made that so there's that but also hilariously in the same like article describing the income of the place it also said it was most the most ethically diverse which i want to say hi guys 86% white is not diversity not not even close so I don't know. Put that in your pocket. Forget about it. I don't care. It doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant. So let's get to it. The year's 1999. We are in Jericho, New York. To be precise, we are at 67 Forest Drive. And if you know me, you know I like to know all things. So yes, that house still exists. It's it's still there. Um. Anyways, in 99, it was being sold. It was built in 1957. And this was i believe the fourth third or fourth homeowner and like most people when purchasing a home you get in home inspections done right right seems logical 
So during the time that the home inspector was there, it was discovered that there was some sort of barrel that was placed underneath the house in the crawl space. Now, it was definitely discovered to be like um, in a newer section of the home, like it wasn't an original part of the house, right? So first of all, all of us um, with, you know, our little red flags, we're sitting here waving at being like, ah, hi, something under the house that wasn't supposed to be under the house. Yep, yep. Secondly, secondly, the fact that there was a barrel underneath a new addition of a house, that also raises red flags because who, what are you hiding? Hi, what are you hiding? Yeah, I want to know what you're hiding. Yeah. So just go ahead, let your mind wander. Think of all the things that could be inside said mysterious barrel unless you already know the case and now i just feel like an idiot because duh there's a lady in there it's literally in the title taylor you're an idiot all right so when asked about this barrel right the then owner says to the buyers like huh uh i don't really know what's in it so the new owners are like okay well why is it there and the guy's like i don't know and I'm totally making up this conversation, but I assume it's something like this. Hey, so uh, Randy, uh, our inspector says there's like a weird barrel under the house. That yours? No, Bob, never heard of that. It's mine. Well, what's in it, Bob? Well, I don't know, Scott. I just told you. I didn't even know it was under there. Whatever. Whatever. It's your problem. Sally and I aren't buying this house till you get rid of it. Capiche? And I, you know, I keep the accent because it's the East Coast. So if you want to say that that was terrible, I don't judge you. By the way, names are actually not actual names, nor is this conversation what actually happened, but whatever. So the barrel ends up getting removed from underneath the house and it's kind of like set at the edge of the street so that like the garbage company or whatever can come pick it up, right? How they even got it to the street, I have no idea because I did spend some time on Reddit, one of my favorite places to be, and people kind of were discussing that a full 55 gallon drum barrel like the one that was found underneath the house, would have weighed somewhere around 450 pounds. That's a big boy. That's, that's a big barrel. I couldn't move that by myself. I couldn't move that with the front. So when it's brought onto the street, it looked to be like ancient. And I mean, I guess not like ancient because duh, but it had surely been under there for a very long time. No one thought a thing. They just kind of put it at the edge of the street, waited for the trash collectors to come and grab it. Imagine the surprise when it's learned a few days later that because this item was over 300 pounds, the local trash people like couldn't take it. Hmm. Predicament. Frustrated by this odd annoyance, um, the owner decided, you know what, I'm just going to open this bad boy up and we're just going to figure out what's inside. And obviously, like I idiotically stated before, it is listed that there is in fact a lady in the barrel. But this wasn't just any lady casually tossed in. Nay, nay. Now, when the barrel was first open, first of all, the smell. If you know it, then you know it. Like, if you don't, let me tell you, there's, like, nothing that smells like a dead body, and once you smell it, you'll, you'll never, like, not know it, and that's, like, actual facts. So, in the barrel, the man opens it up, and he finds this, he, first of all, he sees a hand, and he sees, like, a foot in this, like, green, slimy goop, as well as, like, these weird, like, plastic little pellets. And to me, hearing this, like, boom, instantly I'm like, alien, it's an alien. But, um, of course, he's like, 
holy whatever word he probably said, and he immediately calls the cops. Now, here's where the crazy starts. And I mean, I guess kind of like finding a barrel underneath the house should have been a little strange. But, you know, then there's a body inside this barrel. But even more interesting was the fact that there was a barrel or a body in this barrel was the amount of time that this body had been in the barrel because, 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 because it was completely mummified. So for those of you who want scientific facts, here we go. Uh, Mummification can actually take place in as little as two weeks. Eh? interesting, depending on the condition of a body and where it is. So typically a body will begin to mummify if it is exposed to extreme heat, drought, or conditions such as those. And what this does is, you know, when you like hear mummify, I don't know, I instantly just think of like dried up, wrapped in, you know, I just think like Halloween stuff, right? But uh, mummification actually preserves the body So what that means, stops or prolongs, and in this case, it was stopping the decomposition. So first of all, have any of you guys like ever watched those videos that like show like roadkill and like the way that it decomposes? Like I know that they're on TikTok because I've seen them. But um, anyways, it's pretty fascinating from like a scientific standpoint at how quickly it can happen. So in the right space, in the right time, yes, it can happen pretty quickly. So in murder cases, that's why it's so important that we get to things like from the beginning or as soon as possible because that's where all of the clues are, right? So in this situation, right, having decomposition basically stop was really, really helpful because that means that we didn't lose that information. So, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, if we could mummify, like, all murdered bodies, then we would probably be able to solve all of them. I'm just saying. I'm Elliot Ness. Yeah. Because, essentially, it preserves everything. Anyways, upon removing her body from the barrel, it was easy to see that this woman had been there for a long spell. Not because of the condition of the body, but rather the clothes and the shoes that she was wearing because they were severely outdated. Once she was taken to the local medical examiners, they were able to do a full autopsy and they learned that not only was she murdered with a cause of death being blunt force trauma, but this woman was in fact nine months pregnant with the baby boy. And that's really sad. She was a Hispanic woman between the ages of 25 and 32, and due to her dental work, it was actually determined that she was not from the United States, and in fact, most likely from South America. Oh, and her death happened over 30 years ago. That's right, the lady in the barrel had most likely been in that same exact spot, hidden from the world for over three decades decades. So let's do a quick recap here, okay? Yeah? Man is selling a house. Inspector finds a weird barrel. No one knows who it belongs to, so they just try to trash it. Sanitation people are like, nah, too heavy. This isn't our problem. Out of curiosity, barrel gets open, exposing a body that has been hidden for over a quarter of a century. Did I miss anything? Is anybody else's jaw on the ground? Because mine was when I heard this. Guys, let's just stop for a second. What would you do? What would you do? If you found the barrel, would you open it? First of all, would you open it? A, would you open it? B, 
would you rather call the cops and have them open it? Like, let's be real here. Like, I know, I know I would have been so curious to do it. But at the same time, like, I wouldn't want to find that. I really wouldn't. But it's like, you know, you don't expect to open it and find like a barrel full of rubber chickens. Like, you're obviously like, something's in here. What would have been cool, though, what would have been way cooler, though, is if they had like opened it and it was like a fun time capsule, you know, from like 100 years ago. That would have been awesome. Dead body, not so awesome. Right? I don't know. I don't think I'd open it because I also don't want the cops to look at me and be like, well, you found it. You probably put it there. No, I didn't. I don't know. Anyways, as I was saying, inside the barrel, they had this body, but there was also some other things that were in the barrel as well. So it was filled with this like green type of liquid and pellets, like little, little plastic pellets, as well as a locket that was engraved. There were some rings, a pretty damaged pocketbook, a note, and some plastic flower stems. All of these are clues that will eventually lead to the identity of the victim. Now, unable to read what was in this um, address slash pocketbook for obvious reasons, it's been a freaking in a jelly barrel for 30 years, uh, detectives ended up placing it in some fancy dancy machine that would kind of like dry it out. Like you, I had no idea what this machine was, so you're welcome. I looked it up and it's called a video. So after they put it in like a drying cabinet for a few days, they put it in what is called a video spectral comparator. And what on God's green earth is that? Well, you know, um, it's a fancy little thing that, correct me if I'm wrong, can detect documents. So I'm thinking, like, because all of the ink, like, once they dried it out, like, all of the ink kind of, like, went away, but they were still able to look at it and expose it to various, like, wavelengths and stuff. And then they were able to, like, read what was written in there, which just sounds like a lot of work, but. I'm glad that they did it. So before we jump into like what they found, let's just pretend that, okay, the cops are putting it in the drying cabinet. So it's going to be a couple days. So they're going to move on and go focus on something else until they can come back to that and get some more clues. Right? Right. Okay. So while they were waiting for that to dry, they decided to go out and find the owner of the barrel. It had a serial number on it, so they were going to go track down, like, where's this barrel from? Who owned it? Why did they have it? Boom. So, obvious first place to look would be previous homeowners. So, that's where detectives began. Initially, they talked with the then-owners, who I've said originally had no idea it was, what it was, or why it was even there. And, yes, they were telling the truth. And don't worry, I wondered, like, oh, are these people playing dumb and, like, they really know what happened? No, they weren't. So there were, in fact, four previous homeowners. And when questioned, it was learned that all but the original owners had known about the drum, but nobody knew the contents of it. And sorry, you know me, I just, I really got to like stop and be like, seriously, all of you guys knew that there was some weird drum underneath your house and none of you touched it. All of you were like, oh, like, I don't know, because instantly, if I saw a barrel underneath there, yeah, instant dead body. Of course I'm going to think of dead body. How many people have buried people in drums and put them underneath the ground? Like, not everybody is a true crime freak like me, so I totally get that. But I just don't understand how for 30 freaking years, all these different owners were like, oh yeah, there's a weird barrel underneath the house. Let's not touch it. Like, I, I don't know. Interestingly enough, when talking to the second owner of the home, he claimed that 
they rolled it to the spot where it was for all of those years and they basically just forgot about it um the 12 years that they had lived there and like i'm not saying it's not true i'm just saying it's really suspicious and i think all of y'all are in cahoots and i think it's you know they really weren't in cahoots but i do think it's oddly strange that they all knew it was there and nobody touched it now according to the original owners uh his name was howard elkins and he claimed and i quote he told the new york times that in 1966 he had the addition made to the house and created the crawl space that the drum was found in but when asked if he had ever been in the crawl space he said what for he said he could not recall the contractor's name who did the addition and added that no one should have access to the property beyond gardeners and maids end quote so with all that information it was kind of now time to determine like okay well then who put it there where did the barrel come from and again like i said there was a serial number on the side so with a little digging the cops were able to kind of like piece together this history of the barrel which that's interesting and um, all of its purposes before its final use. Now, there was this chemical company in Linden, New Jersey, which was actually over an hour away. With just that one serial number, they learned that the barrel was actually made in March of 1963, and it was used for holding paint and plastic pigments. Also, the goop that was found in the barrel was actually used to dye plastic that would make the green stems, which were found in the barrel, as well as the pellets, which is what the stems were made out of. So why would a woman be found in a barrel with the ingredients for making plastic flower stems? The more they learned, the more police became determined to find answers for this woman because something was going on. By this time, the pocketbook was finished drying out, and the specialist was not only able to pull out phone numbers with it, but she was actually able to use some space machine, and she was actually able to get immigration numbers. Hmm. Immigration numbers. Then they were able to take that information and piece together the identity of the victim. Turns out the medical examiner, who I guess was from South America, identified her correctly as being from South America due to her dental work. She was in fact from El Salvador and her name was Reina Moroquin. Moroquin? Moroquin? And so with that, they were able to kind of like piece together like her little story. Originally, she arrived in the U.S. in the year 1966, and she was born in in 1941. She had big dreams and high hopes of moving to the States to make it and live the American dream. Apparently, she loved fashion, and that was, like, kind of her obsession. She would write to her family often until letters just kind of, like, stopped in the year 1969, which, if you recall, she was found in the year 1999 and that she had been deceased for 30 years. So you bet. 1969 when she stopped writing to her family it was probably because she had lost her life so along with her uh immigration numbers that led to her identity there was also like a handful of phone numbers that were written down within this book without anything to lose the cops kind of just like start making phone calls they weren't really hopeful they were going to find anything because again all of these numbers were over 30 years old when lo and behold they get to the last number and actually reached a human being and not just any human being this woman's name was kathy 
And when asked if she knew anything about Reyna, she instantly burst into tears because she knew all this time there was no way that the news was good. Turns out they had actually met in classes where Reyna was learning English and they became fast friends. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're, and you're like me and you're thinking, shoot, in the last 15 years I've had, I don't know, like five different phone numbers. So the fact that this woman had the same phone number and address is pretty astonishing. And that blows my mind too, because I've only been alive for like 30 years and the longest that I ever stayed in a home was seven years. I can solidly say I've lived in over 20 places in my lifetime. And I was an army wife for three of those. Yikes. I do really envy people who can stay and they're like born in the same house and it's like been in their family for generations. I know that they probably like despise it, but I would love that. Anyways, Kathy ends up meeting up with the local authorities and she's able to shed some light on who Raina was and kind of fill them in on more of like the mysterious puzzle as to like what she's like and what might have happened to her. Instantly, Kathy confesses she had no idea what happened, but she knew she didn't just take off. Uh, she kind of knew something awful must have happened to her. Now, Raina and Kathy, Raina had explained to Kathy that she had moved to America to have a better life for herself, that she had a failed marriage back home, and um, she actually worked in a plastics factory where they made plastic flowers, you know, like the ones found in the barrel. Kathy knew that Raina was pregnant, but she didn't know who the father was other than she knew that the man was married. And that, my friends, is where the plot thickens. So, not only was this man married, but he also had three other children. Of course there were promises he was going to leave his wife and his family and marry her. And as time went on, I think Raina kind of figured out and felt like her chances were starting to get like smaller and smaller. And just a little small side rant. First of all, I hate liars. I hate them and I despise them. And I wish it was true that when someone lied, they would catch on fire. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Yeah, I wish that was a real thing. Secondly, what's up with the fairs? It's always messy and never works out. Everyone always gets hurt. Like, I just, I, I seriously, I hate them and I could go on this forever, but they're awful and they ruin lives. Not just your life, but every single person that's involved. And oh my Lanta, if you have kids, you're ruining your kids. If you aren't happy, don't have an affair. Grow up, get yourself together. Either end your relationship or make it better. End rant. So Kathy's best friend, Raina, confides that she's pregnant with this married man's baby, right? Thankfully, she isn't naive, and she knows it's not going to end up all sunshine and rainbows, right? However, she does hope for the best and hopes that her boyfriend will choose her in the end. Not likely. He, of course, uh, buys her her own apartment, moves um, her closer to him, and kind of, like, pays for all the medical bills. And I read somewhere she even may have had a private doctor, which this was the 60s, so okay. But Kathy also notices in this time that Raina has changed. She isn't the fun, happy, loving woman anymore. Then one day, Kathy gets a call that kind of like changes her life forever. So Raina calls. She's super upset and she tells her friend, oh man, like I messed up. Like this is bad. She was so upset um, with her boyfriend because she finally realized like he's never going to leave his wife, which yes, she partially already knew, but in her rage, she ended up calling the wife and confessing not only to an affair, but that, hey, hey, I'm carrying his baby as well. Yikes. So Raina is freaking out at that point because he is furious, right? She even told Kathy, I think he's going to kill me. She then told Kathy to come meet her at her apartment, but 
By the time Kathy arrived, it was as if she had, like, just missed Raina. Food was on the stove. It was still warm. Her coat and her boots were in the home, but Raina was, like, nowhere to be found. So Kathy waited around for hours, but Raina never showed up. Then in fear, she went to the police to try to go file, like, a missing persons report. But because she wasn't a family member, they wouldn't really take her seriously. And they told her, oh, she probably just, like, ran off with her boyfriend. You'll never see her again. Sorry, can't help you. Heartbroken, that was the last time she ever heard from her friend. Kathy wasn't able to give a description of the man or anything else other than she knew he was married and he had three children. That is, until she got the worst confirmation 30 years later that her friend really did lose her life that fateful day. Which, that had to have been devastating. Now, she wasn't able to give the cops more information, but it was definitely more than they originally had, and it did add pieces to the puzzle that they were trying to complete. So, I don't know how this next part happened, whether it was just good policing or if it came from an anonymous tip, but somehow there was a connection made that the original owner of the house, Howard Elkins, yeah, the guy, he was actually a part owner of a factory that he sold in 1972. And what did they produce at that factory? Why, hmm, plastic flowers. Coincidence? Uh Uh-uh, I don't believe in those. Now, this factory, it was called Melrose Plastics. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, um, that's where Raina worked. Huh, wonder how they met. Now, if you haven't figured it out, yes, yes, indeed. Raina worked at Melrose Plastics, and before police were able to track down Howard Elkins, they were actually able to speak to his former partner, who still lived in the area. And my, oh, my, did he have a lot to say. So, this guy, I I know his name's out there somewhere, but I didn't write it down. Um, He actually remembered Raina because he was like, wow, she was so pretty and very exotic looking, but she had two distinct gold teeth. Now, what's also crazy to me is that it mentioned in one article, and I only ever saw it in one place, that apparently Raina already had a toddler that she would sometimes bring to work with her at the factory, and the running joke was the kid looked apparently just like Howard Elkins. So, I don't know how accurate that is. There's nothing else that says that there was a toddler. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, where is this toddler at? So that freaks me out. I don't have the answers to any of that, but I did think it was really interesting that this was being said or done. So where's Howard now? Well, guys, funny thing was the police had already spoken to him once. Yeah. If you remember, he was the original owner of the house. And as he recalled, he had no idea that there was a barrel underneath the house, whereas every single owner after him claimed they all knew about it, but just never thought anything of it. One family, this is gross, one family even said that their kids used to play hide and seek behind it. Ew. And if you're alone and you just shouted out, ew, same friend, same. I did the same thing. Because I picture like my kids doing that. Like, ooh. So, these guys who were on the case, they're pretty good. Because if you ask me, they found the body on September 2nd, 1999. And by September 9th, they were actually on their way to Florida to good old Howard Elkins' house. Where, you know, he actually had sold his company and had been living in Florida since 1972. Hmm, where are we going? Where are we trying to get away from? Hmm? Howard was now in his 70s, and he was living in a retirement community with his wife in Boca Raton. It's never clarified whether this is the same wife that he had the affair on, but I'm assuming yes, because nothing ever mentions him remarrying or anything like that. 
So the cops give a good old rat-a-tat-tat on the door, and they're greeted by an old man who was referred to in his community as Jovial. Elkins was not at all thrilled about having a conversation about his past. He did admit to having an affair, but he couldn't recall what her name was, who she was, or even what she looked like. And I'm just over here like, shut up, Howie. You're old, but you're not that old. Don't tell me you didn't know. Now they show him, they show Howard a picture of Raina, but he played it off, was super stoic-y, and was like, I've never seen her before in my life. Sure, Jan. The detective wasn't all that interested in playing games with him, not even with a 70-year-old dude. So there was too much there, too much of a crime to have been committed by anyone else other than his, other than Howard or even possibly his wife. So by the end of their conversation, as I'm sure it was hard listening to every excuse why he wasn't the one responsible, the detective's like, hey, you know what? Let's just go ahead. Let's do a DNA sample just to be sure. Like, it's not you. No big deal. Go ahead and give us a swab. Like a rabid dog, the hair of Elkins must have stood straight up, metaphorically speaking, of course, and his tone and his demeanor just instantly changed. He adamantly declined and ultimately refused and then was like, okay, my wife's coming home. You guys got to leave. Now, just before leaving, the detectives gives Elkin a promise, rather a threat, that he knew he was the one who killed Raina and he was going to get a warrant that would force Howard to give up his DNA so they could prove the baby was his and it wouldn't take long to charge him with the murder of Raina and the baby. Dang. Dang. The next day, September 10th, The detective is at the local station getting what he needs in order to get the warrant when he learns that Howard has actually been reported as a missing person. What? Within hours, the body of Howard Elkins is discovered at a neighbor's house. This guy. This guy. Such a coward. So, apparently not long after the cops left his house, he went to a local Walmart where he easily, very easily, might I add, picked up a shotgun and some shells. Then he went and climbed into the SUV of a neighbor's house and blew his freaking brains out. I mean, no disrespect to the Elkins family, but what a freaking mess, right? I can only imagine how surprising it must have been. But at the same time, like, I feel like his wife knew about the baby. She knew about the affair. Like, what did she think happened to them? What did, what did he say? Like, did she purposely pretend like she didn't know? Or did she honestly just not know? What sort of crazy lie did he give her for her to just go off into the sunset and not care? Like, was this a one-time thing? Did he do this to other women out there? I'm not saying because you have an affair once that you're, like, chronically going to, like, have affairs for the rest of your life. But at the same time, like, is it possible? Is it plausible? You bet. I don't know. I have no idea. And can I just say, like, for those of you who do things and you think you're going to get away with it, spoiler alert, that never happens. You may get away with it for a long time, but I promise you it will always come out. It may not happen right in the moment. You could be 70 years old like this guy, but guess what, friends? Still came out. Truth still comes out. Like, seriously, I have a thousand questions I could be just asking, running around in circles, but we just don't have time for that. So, so what happens with the case, right? Well, the good news is an unsolved murder was solved. 
right? A missing woman was found. Although there was no justice served, I think it was a little bit more comforting to know that there was resolution. I mean, imagine if that barrel wasn't found for like 50 years. What if Elkins and Kathy were all gone and she was never even properly identified? I mean, it's terrible the way that she died, right? But we can be grateful that we at least know who she was, right? I think that that's good news. Two more things before we go. Number one, yes. DNA was 100% collected after Howard offed himself. And I'll let you go ahead and guess what as to whether or not the baby was his. Scientifically speaking, there was a 99.93 chance it was his. So basically, yes, yes, it was his baby. And since Homeboy shot himself, they weren't given a true recount of what happened. So it was kind of pieced together that most likely Elkins had either like taken her life at the apartment or maybe somehow like lured her to the factory where he attacked her there because she did die of blunt force trauma, right? 10 blows to the back of her head. Somehow the theory kind of turned into that Elkin must have had plans to like dump this barrel into the ocean, which is reported as to like why it was filled with all that like liquid and stuff like that. It was said to weigh between 345 and 375 pounds. But once he put the body in there and had the liquid in there, um, it's kind of just like thought like, oh crap, I can't move this. So instead he just kind of like rolled it under underneath his house and then just kind of left it there. And I wonder with as easy as it was pieced together by the cops in 99, like was he constantly just like waiting for it to come out? Or like, did he actually think that he got away with it? I wonder, and we never got to answer those questions. Also, I forgot to mention, um, I did say in the beginning that there was a note found inside the barrel. And on that note, it was actually written and it said, please don't be mad at me, I told the truth. Which that's just heartbreaking, right? Super, super sad. And lastly, we will end somewhat on a happy-ish note. As for Rena's family, there was some angelic soul who went looking for her family because he felt like they deserved answers. And it turns out they had actually been looking for her for years and they never gave up hope. Her mother was still alive, guys. The poor woman was 95 years old. And amazingly, someone, I don't know who it was, was actually able to send Rena's remains home and she was given a proper burial. Her sweet little mama even said that she would even have nightmares where Raina was trapped inside a barrel, which is just super, super freaking sad. Less than a month after Raina's family was reunited with her remains and they were finally given that, like, closure, Raina's mother passed away and was buried next to her daughter. Aw, it's kind of a happy ending, right? Right? I think so. So, yeah, that is today's case of the lady in the barrel which I just, it's nuts. There's just so much going on in it. And honestly, honestly, it happened so fast. Like the way that they were able to just like do the work and get it done like so quickly, I'm honestly super impressed. I wish we had more cases that could be done like that. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening today. I'm sorry I was gone for so long. I hope to be doing better and bringing more cases. If you have any cases, please hit me up. Thank you, Andrew, for all of the suggestions that you keep giving me. I appreciate your kind soul. And yeah, um, I will see you guys next week. Bye!